This is a production from The Companion. Sci-fi served fresh. You're listening to The Companion's audio articles, a new series that features our best stories on The Companion. I'm Rebecca Davis. Today, I'm happy to present to you an expert analysis on The Matrix, entitled Transgender Allegory, Applicability, and Me by L. Twine, as part of our pilot season. You see, when we first launched The Companion, we created the mission to become the home for sci-fi. But with a category so rich with characters and stories, where would you start? We ultimately decided on the 90s, because it was a generation of science fiction, film, and television that defined so many of our lives. If you haven't listened to our other audio article, The Last Action Heroes, How the 90s Swapped Thugs for Thinkers, you should listen to it right after this episode, because it sets up the themes of transformation we're about to hear now. That article breaks down the literal transformation through Hollywood's casting choices based on the reflection of the cultural, societal, and technological shifts over that decade, and ends with Keanu Reeves as Neo. There may not have been a more influential film in that era than The Matrix. I think so many of us can see pieces of ourselves in Neo, Trinity, and even Agent Smith. For those of you who haven't seen The Matrix, you may want to first as we break down the film scenes in this analysis. Transgender Allegory, Applicability, and Me by L. Twine Neo coughs blood as he comes to a kneel on the train tracks, attempting to get himself back on his feet. Agent Smith jumps down from the station platform to the tracks and kicks Neo. He wraps his arm around Neo's neck and holds him there as a train approaches them both. You hear that, Mr. Anderson? That is the sound of inevitability. It is the sound of your death. Goodbye. Mr. Anderson? My name is Neo. Re-enter the Matrix. The Matrix was a pop culture hit when it first released in 1999 and went on to spawn two sequels, a line of comics, an anime anthology series, and several video games. The lasting impact of the franchise has brought back co-director Lana Wachowski to continue the story in The Matrix Resurrections, almost 20 years since it originally ended. So much of what we use in our day-to-day lexicon has come from this initial impact of The Matrix. Be it harmless terms like a glitch in The Matrix for interesting visual coincidence, or more negatively driven ideologies like red-pilling that targets feminism and liberal politics as a supposed oppressor of men. A larger discussion surrounding the franchise has also been maintained by the depth of writing and potential allegorical theming that points towards a transgender narrative. If you're a fan of the Matrix franchise and have interacted with online communities, this may not come as a surprise to you. The ideas put forward by fans burst into popularity and have only grown since Lana Wachowski came out publicly as a transgender woman in 2008. Lily Wachowski would later have to out herself as a transgender woman in 2016 after a reporter from Daily Mail reportedly tried to coerce her to discuss her identity. She wrote in the Windy City Times, I knew at some point I would have to come out publicly. You know, when you're living as an out transgender person, it's kind of difficult to hide. I just wanted 
needed some time to get my head right, to feel comfortable. But apparently I don't get to decide this. With both directors from the Matrix trilogy having transitioned between the release of the original series and the coming fourth movie, discussion and readings on the topic have reached a fever pitch, dividing fans on if the transgender themes were purposeful or even there at all. There's a strong chance that you'll spot a number of articles like this across the internet as we gear up for the release of The Matrix Resurrections later this year. The Matrix as Allegory It's not especially hard to see even at the most basic level what thread people are pulling at with this discourse. The first Matrix film features our lead character on the run from a trio of almost identical-looking white men in business suits who keep using his dead name, Thomas Anderson, to reject his chosen identity, Neo. This is all you really need to start the discussion. Neo is attempting to outsmart and outrun a system that is built to try and keep him from becoming more than they want him to be. I first became aware of the transgender discussion surrounding the franchise soon after Lana had introduced herself to the world. A small forum post somewhere led me to an old undergrad essay from 2002 titled Fluid Realities, Fluid Identities, Gender in the Matrix. Written well before the sequels had taken to the big screen, the author of the paper, Hannah Coleman, discussed what they saw within the film that potentially challenged gender roles. Now serving as a time machine of sorts, it can be seen that Hannah had even written a disclaimer in their summary for the paper. My aim was to appropriate the Matrix for some trans-theorizing fun. I don't think the Brothers Wachowski had any transgender liberation aims with the film. This warning is quite funny to read with the context we now have on the topic. But while written for fun, Hannah hit a lot of interesting and strong beats. A number of people maintain that the speech Morpheus gives to Neo about the reality of the Matrix can easily be about the construction of gender roles. Hannah likewise suggests that readers take the quote and swap the Matrix for gender. He tells Neo, The Matrix is everywhere. It is all around us. Even now in this very room. You can see it when you look out your window or when you turn on your television. You can feel it when you go to work, when you go to church, when you pay your taxes. It is the world that has been pulled over your eyes to blind you from the truth. Following this, Hannah's essay calls attention to the writing of Ricky Ann Wilchins in their 1997 book, Read My Lips, Sexual Subversion and the End of Gender, where the gender regime is defined by five set rules. One, there are only two cages. Two, everyone must be in a cage. Three, there is no mid-ground. Four, no one can change. And five, no one chooses their cage. A core part of the Matrix that struck a chord with me was when Agent Smith interrogates Neo early in the film. Sat either side of a table in an interrogation room, Agent Smith calls attention to Neo's multiple lives. He defines the life of Thomas Anderson as someone who works for a respectable software company, has a social security number, pays his taxes, and helps others. While his second life is one that he lives online under the name Neo and is branded as guilty by the agent. One of these lives has a future. One of them does not, Smith tells him. It's no surprise that most viewers know Neo will be the one to survive as the former identity of Thomas Anderson is to be let go. Audiences aren't unaware that Smith is the villain of the scene and he is someone to overcome. 
It struck me in rewatch that Anderson has described how most of us would be. Almost everyone has a social security number, pays taxes, maintains a normal job, and helps people in need. Neo is threatened with the idea of his basic rights as a human being stripped from him if he goes down any path less traveled. But none of this is news to you. Not one bit. There's not a deep reading of a scene that spells itself out. What this meant to me, though, was the same threatening thing in my own journey with self-identity and potential losses. I may not be losing the core basics of a social security number, but in my period of self-discovery, I had an Agent Smith in my head telling me what simple joys I might be stripped of. Parts of my family could disown me, friends could reject me, my colleagues might avoid me, and my potential romances were all at risk, along with the ability to feel safe around people that may not be a threat at all if I remained the person they expect me to be. Much like Neo, I lived my second life online. I'm not proud to say that as I, someone that identifies as a transgender woman, type this, I'm in the middle of my fourth week with a growing depression beard. My female identity online is not even close to what would be my current Thomas Anderson. At best, I look like a young Hodor from Game of Thrones. When I go out, and it's quite rare at this point, I live by allowing people to consider me a man. A large part of this is due to the NHS Gender Identity Clinic waitlist reaching a near five-year wait for a first appointment as the trans community struggles to receive help. While the secondary reason is pure personal safety. If Neo sat at this table, refuses to give up his digital identity and conform to what the agents want of him, he will be met with opposition for the rest of his life. Neo rejects, as expected, leading us down a path of transformation that otherwise never would have been achieved. The Applicability of the Matrix After Neo awakes on Nebuchadnezzar, we're given a scene as he eats breakfast, a tin of slop, with the ship's crew. One member, Mouse, asks, Did you ever eat tasty wheat? No, but technically neither did you. Well, that's exactly my point. Exactly. Because you have to wonder now. How do the machines really know what tasty wheat tasted like, huh? Maybe they got it wrong. Maybe what I think tasty wheat tasted like actually tasted like uh, oatmeal or, uh, or tuna fish. That makes you wonder about a lot of things. Uh, you, you take chicken, for example, maybe they couldn't figure out what to make chicken taste like, which is why chicken tastes like everything. Tasty wheat, being a product that exists solely in a crafted simulation, has no way to taste wrong. The powers that be, machines in this scenario, have built a system that lacks the ability to ask questions from those inside it. But Neo, prior to his interrogation by agents, has faced the possibility that everything is a construct. His life in the Matrix has been produced and assigned to him by the powers that be. He was placed in one of, one, two cages, two, that he must remain in, three, without the ability, four, to choose what one, five, he would like to be a part of. Where am I going with this? Before challenging my identity, I used to think that Agent Smith represented the real danger of external forces. I've seen this film many times at different moments in my life. The first time as a young boy, it was just a movie scene where he's offered the chance to stop his journey before it all kicks off and puts him in danger. In my late teens, he was threatened with an external societal stripping if he tries to step out of line. Much like the allegory debate over The Matrix, there's a continued discussion among fans of another popular series, Lord of the Rings, that debates if the series is an allegory for J.R.R. Tolkien's time in the war. 
the fan base remains split after Tolkien himself said when asked, I cordially dislike allegory in all its manifestations and always have done so since I grew old and wary enough to detect its presence. I much prefer history, true or feigned, with its varied applicability to the thought and experience of readers. I think that many confuse applicability with allegory, but the one resides in the freedom of the reader and the other in the purposed domination of the author. The divide has caused many to claim there's no wartime experience that served as inspiration for the popular fantasy series. But what Tolkien seemingly meant with the idea of applicability is that despite his direct intention to not have the story be an allegory, his own personal experiences in life can still take shape in the books and the experiences of the reader can take shape in their journey through it. Lana Wachowski stood on stage to give a speech at the Human Rights Campaign's annual gala in 2012. This speech covered a number of topics in relation to her trans identity, along with anecdotes from her past struggles. At one point, she tells the audience about her experience with attempted suicide. After school, I go to the nearby Burger King and I write a suicide note. It ends up being over four pages. I'm a little talkative. But it was addressed to my parents and I really wanted to convince them that it wasn't their fault. It was just that I didn't belong. I cry a lot as I write this note, but the staff at Burger King have seen it all before. (laughs) And they seem immune. I was very used to traveling home quite late because of the theater. I know the train platform will be empty at night because it always is. I let the B train go by because I know the A train will be next and it doesn't stop. When I see the headlight, I take off my backpack and I put it on the bench. It has the note in front of it. I try not to think of anything but jumping as the train comes. This written piece you're reading started with a scene from the final action sequence of the movie where Agent Smith holds Neo down on the train tracks and makes him await the coming inevitable death. It was here, hearing this speech as a strong ally and closeted transgender woman in the middle of my own struggle with self-identity, that I realized I had seen Smith wrong on my earlier watches. No doubt Smith will grow in my mind to be a representation of an external force when I get to that portion of my changing journey. But what The Matrix really did for me is put to screen my own internalized confusion and worries that needed to be overcome to move forward. It told me that as long as I keep allowing the voice in my mind to scare me with risks of personal loss, to dictate the taste of a constructed tasty wheat world with two cages, I might one day be weighed down by it all and find myself awaiting my personal version of the coming train. The transgender experience begins years before finding out the truth about yourself. In 2016, Lily addressed the discussion in her GLAAD Awards speech, saying, There's a critical eye being cast back on Lana and I's work through the lens of our transness. This is a cool thing because it's an excellent reminder that art is never static. In a 2020 Netflix Film Club interview, Lily added that The Matrix was all about the desire for transformation, but it was all coming from a closeted point of view. I don't know how present my transness was in the background of my brain as we were writing it. The debate on allegorical intent within the Matrix can continue to take shape as the fan base engages with that discussion. But Tolkien's applicability argument felt right to me. It doesn't feel like an accident that the Matrix features the protagonist being held on the train tracks, 
a place where Lana had once heavily considered ending her own life. While The Matrix may not have been written with any intent to be an explicit allegorical transgender story, the mindset of the creators at a time where they were still seeking themselves certainly seemed to have bled onto the pages of the script well enough that many transgender viewers are finding themselves and guidance through the same confusion and use of applicability. The Companions Audio Articles is a new series, and we'd love to know if you and your friends like the new show. If you do, please share it with your friends on social media, WhatsApp, or any other text groups. And also let us know. You can tweet at the Companion app or send a message on Discord. Thank you so much for listening, and I want to especially thank our paid subscribers. Without you, none of this could be possible. Thank you to our production team, which includes Nick Hayward, Lawrence Cow, Rebecca Davis, Tommy Terry Green, James Hoare, George Mole, and Ben Herbert. Our theme song is by Lo-Fi Geek. Hi there, this is Chief Master Sergeant Walter Harriman, your favorite gatekeeper. Have you ever wondered what it takes to become a certified Stargate technician? Well, now you can find out because I'm gonna share my knowledge and experience with a select group of aspiring and enthusiastic gators. I wanna give you a chance to be a hero too. That's why I'm happy to announce that on March 11th, I'll be taking a small number of students for my class, Gate Tech, 101. Tickets are on sale now at thecompanion.app slash events. You won't want to miss this because it's not just a Stargate master class. It's a Stargate chief master sergeant class. See you there. But for now, Chevron 7 is locked.